This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Swings here and he drives one deep in the center. Puig is racing back, still going back. He looks up, it's gone! Over the center field wall for Hunter Pence. Pence will touch them all and score them all. A grand slam for Hunter Pence. It's not easy when it's tough. That's when you find out what you're made of. You get so much Brisby in your ears if you want it. If you want Brisby, oh gosh, you get it. Anybody want coffee? I'm making coffee. Anybody want? Yes! 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 I'm a frequent coffee drinker. I'm part of the club. I have a card. You're listening to The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 26 of The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. Hunter Pence, how are you doing today? Grant, I am doing fantastic. I'm drinking my coffee I'm living in uh, the baseball fall wonderland, September, October. It's the <laughs> it's the greatest time of all. And uh, man, is this season amazing. It seems like right now there are three races. Let me just double check, make sure I'm not being a goofball, but three races worth paying attention to. There are uh, the AL wildcard race. There is the NL wildcard race, and there is the NL West, which is one of the greatest divisional races of all time. And I guess Philly, as of this recording, is three back of the Braves. They could still get in there. But as far as like, you know, just like what you're watching every day, it's Giants, Dodgers, and both wildcards. Is that about right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, but the wildcards aren't just like, they're, they're, there's just like a whole bunch of teams, and there's been so much movement throughout the whole season. And there's just like so many interesting stories and every week is something new. Every day is actually something new. One thing that was kind of like a head scratcher for me is like, and I'm sure that this has happened, but we're about to watch the West Division have two teams with 100 wins easy. And one of them's not going to win their division. Like that's painful. That's so insane. Like how strong the, the NL West is. It's historic. It really, really, really is. Uh, You go back to the 1993 season, and that's a very famous pennant race where the Braves won 104, the Giants won 103, but that was the year before the wild card even existed. So the Giants just flat didn't make the postseason, not even like a 163rd game after winning 103. That's bananas. Back in 1962, it was Giants-Dodgers, and that was the era where you win, you're in the World Series. You win, you win the pennant. Like, there's no playoffs. It's just straight to the World Series. And they had a best-of-three playoff at the end. They both ended up with more than 100 wins. The Dodgers ended up going home. You'll have, like, weirdo teams, like the the 2001 A's, I believe, where they had they were just a d- tremendous, dominant team, except they played in the same division as the Mariners of 2001 so the 2001 A's won 102 games and like there wasn't even a divisional race for them they were blown out by September so this is so rare like this just doesn't happen uh there is the safety net of the wild card for the Giants or the Dodgers neither of them want to bother with it especially with the Cardinals charging like this is not just the kind of pennant race you get every so often this is a very rare like once every couple decades sort of pennant race 
it's crazy to think, and this is why I really think that the the eighteen playoff was so good last year. I just, as much as I love watching these wild card races, and I do love the game, I think that it just is. It's nice to have eight teams in the playoffs, a three game series. I thought that that was really cool, but at the same token, this really makes every day really fun to watch the regular season. But it's going to be a shame because winning the World Series is kind of crazy because it's about being hot at the right time. Like Lance Berkman always said, I thought it was really cool, is catching lightning in a bottle. You got to get the luck streak. You got to get, you know, hot at the right time. Unless you're just like absolutely dominant uh, and better than everyone, which is rare because baseball is baseball. You can like hit the ball bad and, and get a hit like, you know, infield knocks and whatnot. So there's a lot of like variance involved. But I think that the eight-team playoffs would be great for baseball if that ever happens. Because who wants to run into the Cardinals? Right now they're on a nine-game win streak. And, like, let's say it's the Dodgers that that don't that end up winning, let's say, 103, 105 games. And you go and you play the, the Cardinals who are just on fire. And something freakish happens, you know? Like, they just, like, you know, a bloop and a blast, as, that, as they say. And there you have it. There's your season. Good, good, good luck. See you next year. I agree with that larger point, but I use it as an argument against more teams in the playoffs. Like what the Dodgers had to do last year, where they're facing the Brewers, a team that was never over 500 for one game last year. They faced the Brewers in a best of three. I'm more worried about the Brewers in that best of three, just because like the Dodgers, you run into a couple, like you've got Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns, they go bananas and then the Dodgers are done. You're usually not going to have the Dodgers or the Giants, a 100-plus win team in that situation. It's usually going to be a team that's like a 92-win team that should earn their way into the deeper postseason. This is sort of an anomaly. I'm not a a fan, personally, of like an eight-team playoff. I don't think it should be like, you know, the old-timey days where you go straight in the World Series and two make, you know. I do like the wild card. I think the way they have it now where you've got five teams and those two bottom teams, they have to really kind of get an extra hurdle to get into the real postseason. But at the same time, it really sucks when one of those two teams happens to be like a historically 100 win, like a dominant team. So this is going to be the time, one of the few times where we are absolutely on opposite ends of the spectrum. Because first and foremost, if you have the if you have the 18 playoff grant, and you have the number one team, you have the best record, you get to play the number eight seed, which it was the Brewers last year. And, and they didn't have, you know, Corbin Burns. And uh, I mean, they might have had them, but they weren't having the seasons they're having this year where they're elite. Right now, you know, they would be playing whoever was the eighth team, which might be the Braves or the Phillies or the Mets. But the more cities that are involved in the postseason, the more excitement, the more fans get involved. When your team's going to the postseason, the whole city's electric. And by the way, if you are the number one seed and you're playing the number eight seed and you can't win a a series of three, you don't deserve to go to the next round. You want a series. You don't want a one-game play-in winning 100 games. Like You want, like, hey, if I lose a series, like you beat me in a best of three, Tip my hat, like I didn't earn it. In a best of one, like anything can kind of happen. But if you're putting a one seed versus eight seed, you've earned your slot. You've earned who you're competing against. Now let baseball happen. And baseball is a game of series. It's not a game of a one and done. It's not NFL where you just play one game and that's the the week for you. So for me, the eight team playoffs, more cities involved, more excitement. And there's still going to be races at the bottom of that. Teams fighting in. And, you know, the, like for instance, the Tigers could all of a sudden be like, 
potentially in. I mean, I haven't looked exactly, but I would love to see the Mariners and the A's and the Blue Jays and the Yankees and all of these teams that are so far all fighting for that one little wild card. Hey, let's get into a series and let's see who's the best after 162 because you go through so many shifts throughout the season. You know, like you might have been really hot in April and that got you the best record, but who are you today after 162? What have you turned into and what have you developed? And let's be the best at the end of the year. So for me, I think it's like, night and day better to have more teams in the playoffs. Now, let me ask you, this kind of goes into something I've been thinking about a lot, and I'm not sure how to quantify it, not sure how to research it. But it used to be when you're thinking about a a short series, a short postseason series, whether it's a best of three, best of five, whatever, there was always that fear that you just run into a team that's hot at the right time. Like, for example, when the Giants were in Pittsburgh uh, this year, the the Pirates kind of handed it to them. The Pirates were the better team for three games. And so it's always like this idea of, any team can beat any—if you're talking about one of the 30 Major League Baseball teams, any of the 30 can beat any other of the 30 in a short series. And so there was that element of randomness to the postseason. Whereas now, I think that still applies, but I have this sense that it applies less, that there is so much just minutia that they're able to get into in the front offices and the game planning and attacking specific hitters and pitchers, that talent maybe is just— it's it's worth more if that makes sense like the randomness is worth less and is that true or is that just it's randomness always going to be a part of the postseason uh a dominant force in the postseason you really can't explain it but honestly like when you have a series like at the end of the day like let's say you do go in and the pirates happen to be there and they want a series they win a series you lost the series so you go home like we lost we didn't clutch up so there is a, a an aspect in baseball of being clutch one game, I think, is is more easily to be, you know, like just baseball happening than a series in general. So the more games, the more often the better team is going to win. And like we even see it in, in the playoffs when you get to seven game series, you've seen teams be up three nothing and another team catch the momentum and come back and whatnot. So there's time to work in a series. And it, 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 the, so to me, that this is why I just think that the eight game playoffs makes more sense as more cities involved, less variance, even though there still is. I mean, there is a there is a part of baseball that is going to be that, but you have to earn it. And I think that that actual playoff scenario allows the best team to more often than not win. For example, let's say the Dodgers are going to let's say they are in a postseason series against, I don't know, the Reds, just to just to pull a name out of the hat. Let's say the 2,000 Dodgers are facing the 2,000 Reds, and the 2,000 Dodgers have 100-plus wins. The Reds are, are getting in on the second wild card. That, to me, if I'm a Dodgers fan, I'm not taking any of that for granted. I'm saying, okay, there's still randomness. There's still, you know, I'm still my old-school mindset saying any team can beat any team. Whereas in 2021, I'm less scared if I'm a Dodgers fan. Does that make sense? Like, I just feel like there is going to be the Dodgers are going to be able to deploy the available talent on the Dodgers roster better in a more targeted way against the Reds in modern baseball than they might have even just a few years ago. I can agree to that in a series, in a one-game play-in. Yeah. Let's say right. let's say the Reds sneak in and we're having a one-game play-in. And by the way, the Dodgers, right now, if you're looking at their staff, they have four potential aces, right? So you're looking at Scherzer, Bueller, Urias and Kershaw like there's four potential aces right so a one game plan for the Dodgers is horrible because you have four aces let's say you run into the Reds which I I think they're kind of a little bit of a long shot but you're going to run into who beat them in their series even though they lost the series 
Luis Castillo, who, yeah, he has a 4-8, but he had like a 6 not too long ago. He's throwing 100 with a nasty changeup, and he's on fire right now. Like, good luck in a one-game play-in with Luis Castillo on the mound, right? So give him a series. This is where it just makes sense because the Dodgers are built as a team that's good in series. Like, they have just deep pitching. Their bullpen's gotten healthy again, and they have a lineup that's going to grind you. Same with the same with the Giants. They have, like, several really good pitchers, a really strong bullpen, and they have offenses that can battle right and left-handed matchup. So they have a deep lineup, deep pitching. They're going to be strong. Both of them are going to be strong in a series versus this win 100 games, one game play in. Oh, guess what? They happen to have the hottest pitcher in the world. Like, let's say you play the Mets and DeGrom comes back and is healthy all of a sudden. Uh, granted, I don't think the Mets are going to quite get in there. I think the Tigers have the same record as the Mets right now. That's kind of a fancy fact that you wouldn't have expected if you look at the, <laughs> the the rosters of these two teams. So shout out to AJ Hinch and what the Tigers are doing. They're coming pretty soon, a uh, year or two away. But my point is DeGrom comes back, say the Mets got in, or you face the Reds right now in a one-game play. And this is why the wild card, to me, just doesn't feel fair or right. I, I think that we need to add eight teams into the playoffs. I think we can both agree that the wild card is incredibly intrinsically brutally unfair it's also tremendous content you know what i mean it's just like but so is eight games. series so is eight series but i don't know maybe this is better content i, I could see as a, as a writer this being the better content because it is a story to watch the hundred game a hundred win team lose in the in a playoff series to you know the the team that squeaked in and got hot and has one pitcher you know I will always clap back at people who say like, ah, the Dodgers, they won in the, the World Series in the 60 game season asterisk. Like, I think that's just the silliest thing. They had to do an extra postseason series. They had to go. And even if it was the Brewers not at full strength, I don't I believe they didn't have Yelich. Like, come on. It was still an extra postseason series where a lot of nonsense could happen. You know, but let's talk about one of the teams that's probably not going to be in the postseason and probably not going to factor into the wild card with they have 10 games left now in their season and they're five games back. They're behind one, two, three, four teams in the NL wild card. The Padres, man, they were a lock. It was going to be the Dodgers or Padres at the top of the NL West. The Padres now, they had a brutal 2-8 and eight road trip. They uh, can't seem to get out of their own way. Right now, the struggle is to stay above 500. What in the world? I mean, now they're yelling at each other in the dugout. And, the, you know, they've made amends for that. Uh, Tatis and Machado. I, I think that was a little bit Machado about nothing. But, like, I don't know. What's up with the Padres, man? Well, a lot of things. First of all, a lot of injuries. When you're looking at, you know, Blake Snell's down. I preach this over and over again. Like, the most important thing is your bullpen. Padres have tremendous offense. But, you know, like, one of their anchors to a lot of their success, especially last year, is Pomeranz. Pomeranz, like, having that eighth, ninth inning shut you down. Drew Pomeranz is, like, as elite as it gets. And I think he was a huge hit. I think, you know, obviously um, Clevenger's out all year. And, like, Musgrove was, like, kind of a breath of fresh air for them. But you Darvish is a 4-1-3, kind of hasn't, like, found a way to win. So, at the end of the day, as exciting as their hitters are and incredible, even Tatis, is, we're not sure how injured he is because he's playing with, like, a torn labrum and just, like, you know, finding a way to manage with still 39 homers and you know what I want to do say I do want to say about that yelling in the dugout between them is I think that that was handled as professionally as ever like I love Tingler's comments and I know Tingler like I got to play with him with the Rangers he was one of the most impressive people that I've ever worked with 
And I just love his quote. Uh, he goes, I'm sure people on the outside think it's whatever they think, but we're family. Tingler said after the game, we're not going to discuss the details, but we care. And they do. And that's what this is what happens when it's it's going apart. And they're, they're almost like trying too hard because of all the injuries and the expectations. So it's definitely painful with that pressure to not have it you know, working out your way, but we care. There's passion, there's frustration. Those are all emotions that are natural, which is true. This is natural that you're going to be a little testy and you're going to probably fight about something that doesn't really matter that much. And those things happen, but it comes down to a group of men caring. To me, it's like when things aren't going well, who are you? And this answer and both of them, they both came back and apologized. They're like, Hey, look, you know, we were in the heat of the moment. We're losing. We're frustrated. That shouldn't happen. I know that things aren't going good for the Padres, but I thought that this was handled as good as you could. Have you been on a team where there has been, you don't have to name names, of course, but there's been this sort of conflict and it's, it's for the better. Like you, they come out the other side and it's a little bit stronger for having aired their grievances out a little bit. You know what? Yeah, sometimes. and uh, Sometimes yes, sometimes no. You, you got to handle these things. To me, like when I think about it, I think I don't know exactly what happened and I don't know the whole story. I, I'm sure there's like maybe build up over time, but like to me, it's frustrating when you strike out, right? And and you want to do good and like you get pissed and you get heated. And sometimes people get mad at people getting pissed. But like it's hard to not get angry when you're in these games. And actually, I love the fact that Tatis and, and granted, they were both strikes. Wainwright just filth them up. <laughs> but I like the fact because Tatis has a huge contract and so does Machado. And the fact that they are fighting and care, it shows me that they're not just like, oh, I'm paid no matter what. I freaking love that from both of them. It, it makes me excited for both of them and that they're coming out and they're like becoming the better, you know, we're going to become better. We're sorry we got into this. Like we're just trying to win and it's not happening and we don't know how to handle it because that to me is just like kind of a, a misunderstanding. It's like in the heat of the moment, you're pissed when you strike out on tough pitches and you think they're balls. It sucks. And then the, the rest of the team's like, you can't get thrown out of the game because we need you. And it's kind of this whole pull. Everyone's going like wanting the same thing, but kind of it's all frictiony, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that does make sense. It, it's funny that it's like Machado's one of the, the players involved because I think a lot of the rap on him and a lot of it's been unfair is like, ah, we're just not sure, you know, if he's got heart, if he's if he's in the game, if he's intense enough. I think different players show intensity in different ways. And I think Machado has always been like a real quietly intense baseball player, a very focused baseball player, much more so than he's been given credit. And I think it's, you know, funny that like now it's like, oh, wow, you know, too much passion for Machado and stuff like that. It's just it's funny that it happened to him. He's definitely changing. And I, I like I said, I think I, I like seeing it from both of them. I like seeing that Tatis is pissed and frustrated and Machado, you know, and I, I don't know if it's necessarily the right direction, but I think they both kind of owned it they took accountability like hey we're sorry that that happened that shouldn't have happened i didn't read that exactly what they said about it but i liked that they apologized about it because it got a ton of press and I, I feel like these sorts of things happen like all the time in dugouts it just you don't always have a camera and like twitter going off and i think a lot of people are kind of you know trying to sh throw shade on, on on the padres because they were supposed to be good and Man, it, it, it was supposed to be Padres and Dodgers at the beginning. We were like, man, every one of these series of Padres and Dodgers is a playoff game. And, and it's just kind of falling apart and, and you can't really put your finger on it. I think that's pretty much all that there is to it is just I like seeing it from Machado, though, personally. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. 
Now, let me ask you about the with the Padres and the injuries. Like that's always that's been my refrain. I've been saying that on here pretty much all season because it's Clevenger, it's Lamette, it's it's you know this guy, it's that guy, it's, it's Paddock, it's Snell. That you know they just keep getting they take it in the hits one after the other with the injuries. But at the same time, so if you go to Baseball Prospectus, they have a tool that gives you the the injury list, uh, team totals by team, and they show who's had the most production missed, the most days missed, and days missed. The number one team. It's not going to surprise you. It is. Uh, uh, the Padres. I mean, that's just not a surprise. But the number two team, as far as days missed to injury, and a team with 15 players right now on the IL, can you guess which team this is? It's going to be a shocker, a surprise team. 15 I players I mean, I think right it's now. the Giants or the Dodgers, honestly. It's the Rays. The Rays have like a Whoa. sneaky... They do have Tyler Glass now with Tommy John. You know, Chris Archer's never been right all year. So they have like some big time injuries that these guys aren't coming back. But their bullpen has been taking hits one after another. Just, you know, they're they're lighter hits. It's not like they're decimated. But you, know, you got Kittredge out. You've got uh, Ryan Thompson on the 60-day IL. You've got uh, Matt Whistler. Like they've kind of had these guys go in and out. But they always find a way. It's just... The Rays are one of the deepest, sneakiest teams because before the season, it was like, oh, they traded Blake Snell. They're doing this half-ass, like, rebuild, reload thing where they're trying to contend. They're trying to eat their cake and have it too. And it's like, no, they're just really good at, like, everything. And I think you're seeing that because they've had the injuries, uh, maybe not quite to the extent with the big names that the Padres have had, but they've weathered an injury storm as good as any team could. That's pretty impressive. And and I know they're doing right things. Um, One of my... uh... Really close friends got to work with uh, the Rays for a little bit in, you know, kind of the back. And he just was like, dude, they are incredible. They're smart. They're open. They listen to everyone's ideas. Like even like they created the opener and it was basically just like one of those table talk. Anyone have an idea? And like someone just kind of threw it out there and they're like, that's kind of a good idea. And like they're, they're kind of cutting edge. I love that. I'm pretty sure last year's draft, this is where they're so smart, and this is why they can have all, I think they can have all these injuries. Every single round, it was a five-round draft, they took a pitcher, I think. Maybe a 10-round draft. I don't remember, but I remember it was like the first 10 picks are all pitchers. They just stock up on pitchers and grind these guys that, uh, you know, just kind of like similar to like Farhan, like the, the the just grindy veteran at bats, people who take pitches, they play defense. They, I don't know how they ran into the Randy Arozarena, but yeah, they're sneaky. I think they're crazy smart. I, I, I've heard that they just like do such a good job and they're very open and and just leading edge thought in baseball. So following the Rays, like I don't get to see many of their games over here on the West Coast, but tell me your story. What's your story on why the Padres are where they are. What do you think is the fix? And and also on the counter, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays and their success. What's your thoughts on it? I think the Padres, the injuries are are the story. They spent so much capital as far as like a lot of their prospect capital, a lot of their deals on pitchers to build a pitching staff that was like almost kind of immune from this sort of thing. They were trying to go five deep. They were trying to build a pitching staff that even if like their number one went down, that they could overcome it because they had two, four, three, five. You know, you've got Lamette, you've got Clevenger, you've got Darvish, you've got Snell. You're just trying to build this quantity of quality that was unmatched. And it was just, you know, hit hard, hit hard. And then you've got developments that you can't really see. I've seen people talk, and I have not dug into the numbers, so I'm not going conspiracy on this, but that Darvish's spin rate is down, you know, since the crackdown, that he's just become a little bit different pitcher. I don't know that for sure. I've just, I've seen people mention that in passing, but it's just all these hits that they're taking 
you have to be like a super duper team in order to overcome those kind of hits. The Padres at the very onset of the season, they might have been a super team and we maybe thought they were a super duper team, but like it's these little shades of gray where they start you start to see the cracks once you start to get the players missing. I don't know. It's just so such a tough spot to come back from where the Rays their best players aren't necessarily the ones who are going down. Some of them are, but it's not like it's going to be their their top tier guys going away for the entire season, but they're just so deep and so creative. And so you've got like right now, Tyler Glass now is down. And so that's a, a main hit. And so what are they doing? Well, you've got, you know, Colin McHugh filling in here. He's doing amazing things, but you've got Shane Boz now in the major league. He could be a postseason story. The depth of the Padres maybe was a little bit oversold at the beginning of the year, uh, whereas the the Rays maybe it was a little bit undersold. Dream scenario: you go Clevenger, Lamette, like those two in and of themselves are frontline horses, both out for the you know basically the season. Lamette's nasty, like Pomeranz. I think you're not emphasizing enough mm. that Pomeranz is a horse. He's like a huge deal. Because this is like a one ERA reliever. These are this is like a diamond. This is like the Presley of the of the Astros right now. And I, by the way, I'm I want, I'm throwing out the Astros a little bit because I have some a little something I want to talk about them because they're sneaky doing having an amazing season. And uh, we don't we haven't nobody's really talked about them that much, but they are legit. But like the Pomeranz injury, the Lamette, the Clevenger, uh, like you said, the U Darvish spin rate down. That's definitely scary. It, it's so much. Whereas like the Rays. They weren't even really expected to be that good. And, and I think that the Padres threw away – I wouldn't say threw away. They traded away a lot of really good bullpen arms, young arms, to get this, like, super rotation, whereas if they stayed healthy, could have been good. So, you know, it, it's tough. I, we'll see what they end up doing, how they end up ending this season and where, where they go from there. But definitely a, kind of a, a sad story, but also exciting for some of these other teams that are sneaking in there. And, and the September Cardinals doing what's – September Cardinals always do just kind of sliding into that wild card spot on fire nine in a row at, as we're recording this. But I want to ask you, who do you think don't without looking, hopefully you don't look, who do you think is leading the Houston Astros in OPS right now? Oh, let's see. OPS, it's going to be, is it going to be Alvarez? I mean, it's I'll give, you, I'll give you four guesses, not Alvarez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, four guesses, not Alvarez. So, it, you know, you're going through the, the usual suspects of Correa, Altuve, Alvarez, Kyle Tucker, maybe? Kyle Tucker on the four guess. <laughs> Kyle Tucker, what, you want to talk about the most underrated player? I've heard nothing about him. And I was just kind of like, before we got on the show, just looking through all of the stats, being the stat rat. 27 homers. He's got he's got 470 at-bats, 522 plate appearances, 911 OPS what this guy's having a season and nobody knows it 87 ribbies he's he's borderline gonna get 100 rbis uh you know alvarez having 98 rbis is pretty impressive as well but he's only an 884 ops they're both right there but they're just like stacked with 850 ops plus they got a solid solid staff um framber valdez is looking great all of their starters are strong they got presley and graveman at the back end of the bullpen they are poised and they are going to be a beast. And whoever comes out of that wild card from the East, the Rays, like, so playoffs is going to be fun. But talk to me your thoughts on the Astros and the sleepy season they're having. 
Cal Tucker is funny because when I watched him earlier this year, I didn't know much about him. I knew he was like a high pick, I think fifth overall when he was drafted by the Astros. You know he's not going to be like a one-dimensional slugger if he's going to the top part of the draft. But when I watched him, he was one of those like athletes that surprises you. When he hits a ball that's kind of an ambiguous, oh, is this a single? Nope, that's a double. Like it's like an automatic, like there's an athleticism there that you don't see from even in, in the the context of baseball players who are generally really good athletes, real world-class athletes. He's one of those guys that's like a step above and you notice it. it. Just if you're watching one game, two games, you see, okay, this guy is just wired a little bit different. So yeah, he's, you know, he's one of the reasons the the Astros are like, yeah, we don't need to pay George Springer nine figures. We got Kyle Tucker and he did fly under the radar a little bit. You know, you have the mutant season last year when he was excellent. You have uh, when he was 22 as a rookie in 2019 he only got 72 plate appearances so like he did fly under the radar a little bit in the combination of the pandemic and the Astros being so sneaky loaded already but yeah the Astros are really good man they've been charging they had like that awful stretch at the beginning of the season since then no problems if they have a weakness it's that they're getting almost zero offense out of their catching position with Martin Maldonado having a really brutal season Jason Castro uh he's been fine before you go there Martin Maldonado is one of the greatest defensive catchers you're gonna have like you don't I'm just talking offense I know but like he's not there for the offense Martin Maldonado changes the game so like they're they're totally fine with whatever he does offensively but like everyone else in their lineup is a house and then you just need someone to handle the pitching staff that's a big deal so I just want to I can't handle that for Martin because I I I really notice when you play against Martin Maldonado you notice how he calls a game you can't go anywhere on the bases because he's going to throw you out he blocks everything that dude's a ball player so I had to throw that out there how many catchers are like that in baseball? Like if you is how short is the list where you've got a guy where like as an opposing player, you go, you, uh, I don't want to mess with you. I mean, is it like two, three, four? It's very short. Like you can notice the catcher shift, like whenever like different people have days off. Cause like a lot of times you're battling the catcher and how he receives and how he blocks. And, and honestly not having a defensive catcher will cost you a lot of games. And in, no matter what they do offensively, your catcher has to be able to do defense. And there's a very select few that can do both. Both in a ridiculously good way, like, you know, especially for a long time. And I'm going to throw out, you know, like a Buster Posey and a, and a Yadier Molina. But there's a couple catchers out there that are really good offensively, but you might get you, you are excited that they're catching because, you know, you can kind of figure out what they're thinking back there. They do a couple little things like those extra 90 feet, not blocking or not getting the calls because of the way they receive things. It's a big, big deal. And there's a few catchers out there that just suffocate you. Every time Martin Molinato's back there, eh, I've always just been like, good God, this is frustrating. <laughs> you feel him. So there's a reason the Astros are, are, are putting him out there and he has the at-bats that he has is because how he handles the staff, how he calls a game and how he suffocates the running game. Uh, he does it all. So his offense is is not and, – and like you think of like a couple of the other ones that, that just have basically just been catching defenders for a long time, you know, uh, like a Mathis and, and guys like that. So there's a reason they stick around because they change the game.
All right, I withdraw it. I was just, my eyes were darting through, saw the, the 177 batting average, the low OPS, and I was like, ah, oh, just throwing that out there. He's changing the game. <laughs> That's a catcher, buddy. Yeah, so it's a good story, though. It's good for people to know that, that, like, the catcher is doing so much more than most. You have to be really, really understand the game and maybe even be in the game to notice how much they change it. Another underrated storyline of the Astros, and they've just been so steady all year. They have uh, they had a little bit slow April, but since then they've been chugging along with uh, big time winning months in June and July. But a big time storyline for them is Dusty Baker. I mean, Dusty Baker is on the hunt for his first World Series win. He has managed, gosh, I think this is his 24th season. He's just been in the middle of some of the greatest almost shoulda, coulda, woulda teams in baseball history. When you're talking about the Giants in 2002, you're talking about the Cubs in 2003, I believe. You, the Cubs all throughout when they were when they were good in his early tenure. The Reds, when you guys ran into him in 2012, that was one of the better teams I've, I've seen in a long time as far as starting pitching depth. The Nash two 90-plus win teams just couldn't get over the hump in the postseason. So that's a storyline that I'm watching because I am a, a, a unabashed Dusty fan in a lot of respects. Like, I like the dude as a baseball lifer. And, you know, the Astros, I know they're going to be a little bit polarizing, but I can separate that and look at Dusty Baker and go, okay, I'm kind of rooting for Dusty. Yeah, that's that's for sure. And, and obviously, like, that Reds team that he had uh, in 2012 was – really phenomenal too i don't know if you mentioned them yeah dusty baker it it would be interesting it would be nice to see him uh, win a world series that's for sure i'm not sure how the baseball world would feel about it with uh you know i'm (laughs) I'm just gonna leave it at that but another person that i i'm gonna mention that i think this may be way too early because it's not very many at bats but i got to play against this guy in winter ball when he was really young and he is one of the most electric talents i have ever seen he was with the giants in 2020 I don't think he ever got called up, but like even in our like he came with a like summer sp- spring training and he was just doing things that I've never seen on a baseball field. He's just absolutely wild. He has like a hose. He's fast as lightning and he has pop and he's like over the roof and swag. Jose Siri right now, 1100 OPS. I know it's just 30 at bats, 32 plate appearances, but like. If they get into a postseason, you add this guy, dude, he's electric. Watch Jose Siri. If you get a chance to see uh, the Astros in the playoffs or any of these games and he's out out there, this dude does some crazy stuff. And uh, I've always just been, you know, a fan of how fast and talented he is. He's it's it's crazy. Have you ever seen Jose Siri? I've seen him in spring. He kind of played that waiver game, I think, early in 2020 where he was uh, on the Mariners and then the Reds and then the Reds to the Giants. And there might have been a couple other teams mixed in. So obviously when you get passed around like that on waivers, like it doesn't necessarily mean that you're like uh, just bad enough to be the 27th man on a roster or something like that. It means that you've got something going on. Like there's some reason why teams are passing you back and forth. So I've seen him. He's... You know, he seems kind of like he's got the tools, but you think that he's he might be a factor in the postseason. He's he's got like four home runs now. He's got tools. He's a he's a loose cannon. I've seen him do things on a baseball field in the base pass that are insane. You're like, there's no way this is gonna work. It's absolutely foolish, and it works. Like he's just like I don't know how he does it. He has this crazy instinct or risk factor he's a risky risk taker i mean it it can look real when it doesn't work out it's really bad but i've seen it work out for him so much that i'm just like 
I can't not like watching him. So I just want to throw that guy out there uh, on the radar of fun to watch. <laughs> but I don't know the other stuff. It is funny with the Astros, like as far as you're looking at the different teams and their identities in the Astros. So, so take the Giants where you've got like, who are these guys? Lamont Wade Jr., who's this guy? You know, and they're they're kind of putting people, they're they're taking people who you knew and they're putting them back in front of your face, like Brandon Crawford. The Astros, like, they came into the season as known quantities, almost to a man in that lineup. You're talking Guriel, Altuve, Correa, Bregman, Brantley, you know, uh Alvarez. Like, there's no mystery here. It's not like how are they doing it? You look at the lineup and when they start doing it, and it's a little bit like that in the rotation too with Granke and McCullers. I think maybe we should have paid more attention to the Astros. I think everyone was. You know, they weren't that far away from winning the World Series pretty darn recently. They're a good team. But maybe they should have been like that Dodgers, Padres, like they should have been in that tier from the very get-go. But at the very beginning of the season, I got to do a interview with uh, with MLB. We brought up the Astros, and I was like, yeah, the Astros are going to win the West. They were, like, kind of shocked. They were like, really? I was like, yeah, they're the favorite. And, I mean, I know the A's are good, but they lost Hendricks. They lost Simeon. And you see what Simeon's doing. Like, the Astros are crazy good. And you saw what they did in the postseason last year. It was a weird season. But they were, like, a game away from coming back on the Rays. And if they – because they were down 0-3 and they tied it up 3-3. If, you know, that one kid hit that homer on a slider, it was a one-run game. Could have gone either way. The Astros could have been in the World Series and would have been very dangerous. They are a really, really good team. And, and by the way, Luis Garcia is nasty. 11-7 with a 3-3-7. Framber Valdez, 3-0-7, 123 innings pitched, 11-5. They are the real deal. So I know that's a lot of time on the Astros who are, who are kind of like taking it away with the division. But I thought there were some interesting stories there. We need to hit on the wild card a little bit more, uh, the the AL wild card. And these Blue Jays are kind of taking it to the Rays right now. Nobody wants to see them. Yankees, Blue Jays, Red Sox. And then obviously the Mariners are well. Like as soon as we think we have it figured out, things get all haywire. So what what are your thoughts right now, Grant? As of this recording, both the A's and the Mariners are three back. I think the Mariners are a great story. But three back with 11 to play as of this recording it's trickier than you, than it's it's trickier than a lot of people give it credit for. So you think, well, that's just a three game winning streak and a three game losing streak, and then everything evens out. But it's not quite like that because a they're facing they're chasing. Um, let's see, one two teams to to kind of hop over into that spot. But if they go, let's say nine and two. One of the other two teams just has to go six and five to match that. Like it's another team can play mediocre baseball. They could play uninspiring, like not just running away with it. And they can still win the wild card when you're three back with 11 to play. So I'm less focused on the Mariners and A's. Things can happen. We've seen it with different teams in recent years where they just charge in and the other teams just fall apart. It can happen. But right now, it just it looks to be more of a three-team race. And it's hard to argue against what in the heck the Blue Jays are doing. They've come from so far back to charge and charge and charge. And they haven't had that weirdness where the Red Sox or the Yankees have you know slipped back. The Blue Jays are pointed in the right direction right now. 100%. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a three-headed race over there. And I'm going to say Grant, at the beginning of the season, I felt more confident in like my World Series predictions than if I was to try to pick right now. 
Like, <laughs> That's a good we're, point. We're this close. Like you had the Dodgers and who do you, who was your American League team? I think I want to say White Sox. I want to say Dodgers, White Sox. You were Dodgers, White Sox. I know I was White Sox and Braves were my was my pick, and I had the Braves winning it all. I felt more like more confident than right now. When I think of these playoff teams, like and whoever gets in, it's like I'm looking at the Brewers and I'm like, man, the Brewers could win the World Series. I'm looking at the Giants and the Dodgers; they could definitely win the World Series. I'm looking at the Astros. Yes. White Sox, yes. Rays, yes. Blue Jays, yes. Cardinals, yes. I don't know. That's how I feel right now. Yeah, it, it even goes back to like the trade deadline where you're asking me at the trade deadline who's going to win the World Series. And I'm like, well, you know, if you're talking about a short postseason series, check out the White Sox. They got Craig Kimbrell to back up Liam Hendricks. And like, Kimbrell's not been that good. Like the best reliever at the deadline might have been Tony Watson as far as like results. And so now can you look at the White Sox and ignore those couple of months where Kimbrell, there's been a little weirdness. Is he still the same Kimbrell? Maybe, you know, maybe everything you thought at the deadline is still true today, but there's so much information that conflicts. And now you're thinking, well, gosh, you know, it's going to be this and that. And I'm with you. It's, I have no idea. There are so many different ways that this postseason could go. I will say that if I am playing any team, if I get to choose, if I get to draft a team that I get to play, whether it's in the NLDS, ALDS, whatever, the team I want to face the least in a short season, uh, short series, it's still the Brewers. The Brewers, to me, we've talked about it. I know they don't have the firepower in the lineup that the Astros have that we just talked about, but I still think that combination of top-line starting pitching and top-line uh, back-end bullpen uh, support like I think that that combination is just so tough to overcome I don't know I, I really think that it's so equal and like here's another thing with the White Sox like looking at the Astros the White Sox the Rays Giants Dodgers Brewers all of them have three top end starters that can compete with that in offenses and I think the White Sox are a little bit of the case of like we've already won the division we're already in kind of like just playing for numbers right now. So I think that they get elevated when they get into the playoffs. So I, I think they're actually a little bit better than what we're giving them credit for because being 10 and a half up for like three months is kind of uninspiring. It's unexciting. You just, you're like, yeah, we're going out. We're good. We're probably going to win because we're just talented and we're better. But then you up the emotion, you up the ante on the White Sox. I think they're going to hit a different level. And that's why I think this playoffs is going to be so exciting to watch because there's a big dispersion between top and bottom, but at the top is really good. Let's say Dodgers and Brewers, put them together with all of their frontline starters. You're looking at Scherzer, Bueller, Urias Kershaw, that matches up 100%. The lineup's a little bit deeper. I think the Dodgers, and the same with the Giants, like Webb, Gossman, Discalfani, the Giants' offense can hit anybody when they're healthy. So, like, the Brewers and, and Giants kind of, they split their series. I don't know how the Dodgers and Brewers went, but the Cardinals are right now in Milwaukee kind of taking it to them. So, I disagree with that the Brewers are the, are the one to fear right now. I, everyone's a weapon, Grant. Well, let me ask you this Ed, before we go. It, let me ask you about the Brewers situation where they've got the division locked up and you're going into uh, the final week of the season. Their final series of the year is against the Dodgers. The Dodgers would be a team, if I'm not screwing this up, that they might meet in the NLCS. So if the Dodgers are the, let's see. if da, 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 da. The West is going to destroy itself before they get to the, the National League Championship Series. So the Brewers and Dodgers can't meet until the National League Championship Series. So they're not even worried. 
but that's what I mean. So they might meet each each other in the National League Championship Series. So in that final series, how do they approach that? You want to honor the game, honor the, the National League West pennant race. At the same time, you can't care about it if you're the Brewers. So you're setting your rotation up for the postseason. You don't want to show you know the Dodgers your uh, kitchen sink. You don't want to maybe throw Devin Williams out there, get have them get a, a better look at Devin Williams or Josh Hader. Like, how are you playing that if you're the Brewers? Time out. This is this is a cycle back to the fact that like all of these hundred, there's going to be two hundred win teams in the NL West, guaranteed. Pretty yeah, pretty much guaranteed at this point. They're going to all knock each other out before they go any further. I think that if you have the eight teams and basically however many wins you get puts you in the one to eight, it becomes amazing that like the West gets to fight the Central before the NL, like before the the championship series, the the, the National League championship series. So. The fact that like all the West is going to wipe itself out before they run into anyone from the East or the Central is kind of uh, absurd. So, but as far as the Brewers are concerned, you're not hiding from the Dodgers. You're setting everything up for your postseason matchup, which is going to be against the Brave. Whoever wins the East, it could be the Phillies, but that's a they're only three games back as of this recording. But it's probably going to be the Braves. So the Brewers are not worried about the Dodgers. They're getting they're going to be kind of relaxed, setting up, getting getting ramped for their series against the first team you have to face. You're not hiding things from the Dodgers because you don't even know if you're going to see the Dodgers. We don't know where we're going to be in that in 10 days. So <laughs> that's my thoughts. I don't like that the West is going to destroy the West when they're so strong in the East. Probably the, the AL East is going to do the same thing to itself. And that makes me sad because I want to see you know the Dodgers play the Brewers or the Braves before the, the, the Giants and Dodgers have to meet in for the championship series. At least that makes sense to me. Yeah, no, I'm biased. I think uh, Giants Dodgers World Series. I know it's not possible. I think, but uh, seven seven <laughs> games, it's it's gonna capture the nation. All right, this has been episode 26 of the Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. We'll be back in a week, and we will have much, much, much more information. One of these teams could just go whoop, and in a week's time, just there are no races other than Giants-Dodgers, or maybe there are no races at all. Like, a week is a lot when you've got 11, 12 games left. So we will see you then. We'll know what's going on, and we'll talk about baseball, because that's what we do here. Thanks so much for listening. I love coffee! <laughs>